Hello there, and welcome back to yet another captivating episode of the Vigilant Geek Podcast. Uh, my name is Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me as always, my comic book partner in crime, Holden oh, Orm. Holden, Holden Orm. <laughs> also of Vigilant Geek Media. Yeah. Uh, we come to you live from Hotcast Studios in Beverly, Massachusetts. Hotcast Studios is owned and operated by Nathan Burke. If you are looking to start a podcast of your own, hit Nathan Burke up uh, at nburke18 at gmail.com or I am Nathan Burke on Twitter. Or feel free to peruse Nathan's website at hotcaststudio.com. So anywho, we have an absolutely intriguing episode for you this week. We're starting something new here at the Vigilant Geek Podcast. Uh, actually, an idea that my colleague, Mr. Orm, came up with, in which we will be providing you all with comic book and geek pop culture related news every week yeah this is the beginning of the class and it's very good at the beginning of class to go over current events take it uh, away holden uh this week in comic book related news dc comics has announced that they will be canceling a bunch of books in december Boo. um these books are justice league united gotham by midnight omega men Lobo, Doomed, and Green Lantern Lost Army. Um, for a lot of these books, I'm really not surprised. Um, it's kind of hard for certain books to really get a lot of traction out the gate, and you really the most you expect out of them is uh, a good a good six issues in before they decide to go in another direction. So there's only twelve books a year, and they're trying to cash in. Um, but in other books. The storytelling might be slow, and it takes a while to get into it, and then things end up kicking ass by the time the fourth book's coming out, and then you hear that you're canceling it at issue number seven, and then I yell at my computer screen and spit and look like a wild animal, <laughs> and I'm incredibly pissed. Well, no, you make a valid point, and actually there's two of those titles, well, three of them, actually. I'm, I'm actually very, very riled up about, uh, you know... You talk about building up a story, you know, you have a couple of those titles on that list, particularly Omega Men and uh, Green Lantern Lost Army, where, you know, you have a couple of brand new uh, concepts and brand new story arcs starting up, and it's like they didn't give them a chance to tell their story, and all of a sudden, it's, all right, we're canceling it. Yeah. I feel like uh, Lost Army and Omega Men, that just got going. Yeah. Well, with Lost Green Lantern Lost Army, I'm just confused because well, they're in another dimension. Since they rebooted um, the whole universe with the, the New Fifty Two a couple of years ago, they've had uh, always had at least two Green Lantern books on the shelf. So I don't know if they're just going to go in a different direction. They've always had like one Hal Jordan book, and then they have always had your. Your John Stewart book, yeah, your Green Lantern Corps type right. of book, yeah, where it, it covers all the other various characters that are involved in the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, I imagine that they're going to go back in that direction. Uh, John Stewart's a very important character. A lot of people read Green Lantern because that's he's the character that they want to follow. 
So I don't think they'd shoot themselves in the foot that much. But well, they might just be bringing Green Lantern Corps back in that case. Maybe, maybe Lost Army. You know, I don't. Do, do you remember uh, how long that was scheduled to go for? Or did they well, cut that one short? The or? way they're talking about it now, everyone's talking like, "Oh yeah, that was always going to be six issues," but I, it, it, I kind of felt that it was going to be like much longer. That they didn't initially announce it as a six-issue run, right? Um. So I don't know if that was the plan. Well, either way, I was totally digging the story, uh, especially the, the, you know, the whole aspect where they're traveling in a pack with Kronos and he's like, you know, a total asset for them at this point in time. And you just find out that they're in an, an alternate dimension and an alternate time space that, you know, and they don't, you, they don't really know how they got there. And I want to know more. And I better know more. I better be able to find out more before, you know, they get rid of that book. Yeah. Uh, um, very unfortunate. If you're not familiar with Green Lantern mythology, they, I think right now in the book, they're, they're at a time and place in a universe before, the universe that Relic had came from. Right. Where the lightsmiths who controlled the other colors used up the, the, the powers of the light. They used it up, which is, Helped, uh, it was like the life force of the galaxy and caused it to, to the, the universe itself to die. And apparently the entirety of the Green Lantern Corps has been brought back in time and not only, well, not back in time, but brought to an, uh, an earlier time in another universe. And not only have they done that, they're brought back with one of the, uh, more infamous guardians, uh, Krona. And, and he's like the, the guy who, like said a lot of major story things as far as Green Lantern's concerned. Oh he's, yeah, he's considered huge, huge power player. He's considered like one of the one of the main bad guys, or one of the original Guardians. So you get this interesting dynamic. They're they're back in time. They're kind of figuring stuff out. And I don't know if this is just setting something up because in the normal Green Lantern title book, the Green Lanterns have completely disappeared, and I guess this is where they've disappeared to. And Hal Jordan's trying to find everybody, and meanwhile, everybody's over here doing something else. And, you know, the only thing I can say uh, that positive about this situation is it is kind of fun as the reader to know where, you know, Hal Jordan is and to also know where uh, the Green Lantern Corps is right now. And it's like, huh, I know where you both are, but you don't know where each other are, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. Uh, I'd like to, I think... I don't know. I I really feel like they they're probably going to come out with a um a Green Lantern core. Just pick up that uh pick up that title again. They'll probably pick somebody out soon in order to write that. I just They'll have I, to. I don't feel it's it's too big of a property to not have more than one book covering the uh that portion of the DCU. I mean, and especially after they just announced uh a contract for the Green Lantern core movie. Uh, to start being written and start pre-production process, uh, they're not going to give that, you know, throw that book in the gutter when they're trying to promote a movie. Nope, That's they got to, sure, they so. got to, they got to get as much uh, spotlight on it as they can. Big um, time. Another one I'm really disappointed that uh, that they're they're discontinuing is Omega Men. It, I mean, it started slow. Um, it actually took about. Uh, two issues before I really kind of got into the concept. Uh, it's written by Tom King, and it's 
it's been kind of like a slow journey. He's building up characters. He's he's kind of writing it just like as a standalone science fiction novel yeah. in this in this uh, place in the DC universe called the the Vega system. It's in part of the galaxy portion, and and then there's this story tying in that Kyle Rayner went there. But I guess the Guardians made a deal with the people who ruled the Vega system that no Green Lanterns were allowed. So he gave up his ring and tried to tried to uh, garner a peace because there's a war going on there. And then he ends up getting kidnapped by the Omega Men. And the story has been nuanced and kind of building up. And from what I heard, he Tom King had it so like he built in a failsafe. He's like, all right, well, uh, this will be done in 12 issues. So if they we do an entire... 12 issues, and if they don't renew the story, because he, he, he kind of hoped that it would be ongoing, but if it, it didn't go through, we'd have the it, it would be told and complete in 12 issues. Well, they're canceling it in seven. And it's just extremely frustrating because, yes, comics are business, and like you get, you got to kind of worry about sales, and the main objective here is kind of worry, making money, but also at the same time, like comic books are an art form, and these stories. They, they get, some of the great ones get cut short at the knees because they don't have the time to go ahead and complete them the way they want to. I mean, this is why yeah. I've been really getting into a lot of creator own stuff because they go at their own timetables. They tell the story that they want to tell and no one tells them what to do. Which, right. so it doesn't hamper that creativity. You're not really set to these deadlines by these mega corporations with they're like a lot of fantastic properties but at the same time like like you you're, you're held to the standard as far as sales and oh yeah well it's not i mean it becomes a certain point like what do you respect more money or art and you gotta kind of find a happy medium between the two and eventually you get in situations like this and it's just it's, it's disappointing no i i mean i couldn't agree more uh you've basically successfully described uh <clears throat> the war of art versus the monetary system that we live in uh pretty much uh hit the nail on the head with that one it, and, and it's disappointing because uh most times more often than not uh art uh does lose out to the almighty dollar bill perfect case scenario right here yeah, so i know you're uh, disappointed that they're discontinuing the lobo book yeah, you know, once again, you talk about stories that, you know, are developed over the course of, you know, three to four issues or so. You know, you, you, t you figure most story arcs, uh, most mainstream story arcs, about four, three, four, five issues maybe. Uh, you know, I, I was disappointed because it was the first time uh anyone had really attempted and uh, Cullen Bunn uh who writes a ton of different books uh he he was writing Lobo and and he was uh wrote Wolverine uh previously Oh, he's also uh, uh writing Green Lantern Lost Army so that's two books he's no longer going to be on Now it's funny that that, that uh you just brought that up because He's also uh, just been been placed onto a bunch of new books. That's probably why. Uh, I mean, he's, he's on Aquaman now. You were saying, and uh, uh, he is. That run uh, will continue, as far as I can I can tell. Although I've heard that uh, within the next couple of months, Aquaman will be rebooted to a number one. So I don't. I haven't heard too much on one way or the other about wh where they're going with directions of the character. I imagine they'll finish up the current story arc. 
Um, what a crazy time in comics, though. Nothing is, nothing is, uh, you know, uh, just everything's chaotic. I guess is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, it's like they, uh, you can you. In order to realize whether or not a book is going to last, is you have to at least wait through the very first story arc to see what kind of stories the writer is capable of, and if if the, the sales don't reflect that, so like it's a slow moving industry because books only come out once a month, right. so you're not going to get immediate results to realize what the claim is for a certain book. Yeah, a lot a lot of so times. So, uh, sometimes they develop really slow. They're not yeah. a huge hit right out the gate, and. And then that uh, allows these books that have a lot of potential to never continue. Like DC had a pretty good thing going. They just released this DCU line. They had all these different books come out with a lot of different diverse characters and characters that hadn't been picked up in a long time. And it's been really interesting. And, and DC has actually been pretty fun to read these past couple months. Oh um, yeah, I've been loving it. Yeah, Midnighter and Black Canary and Cyborg, all those new books, Martian Manhunter. I just kind of feel that uh like the some of these some of these writers and and concept characters are well, not concept characters. They've been properties for DC probably for as long as we know, and I don't think they've made anybody original in a while. Yeah. But the point, <laughs> but um I mean, the point of the matter is, is that they're not giving it the time to see if these seeds will grow. You know, exactly. They're it's like they're barely sprouting, and you can barely see the beginning of a plant, and then they're just snipping it off right at the root. You know, just just cutting it with scissors. That's what that's what they're doing. Yeah. You know, and, and going back to Lobo, it's another prime example. They were it was the first solid attempt by a writer to really give Lobo. Uh, an honest origin story and really do that character justice because prior to that he's just kind of been the main man uh, there's not a whole lot of substance to the character he's just a, a intergalactic biker bounty hunter badass with chains and whatnot and what have you and hooks and and yeah and he's Lobo yeah and he's the main man but uh but yeah there there wasn't a lot of substance there and they're finally they finally started uh to to put some into place and it was pretty cool you know uh he uh ends up getting this big contract uh from this uh empress in some far off planet that I don't remember the name of but long and the short of it is in return for his services which you know Lobo doubles as an assassin, bounty hunter, smuggler, all those things. Uh, you know, she would help him find out uh, who uh, had a hand in manipulating his mind during uh, the destruction of his people. Where you know, you know, Lobo, as we all know, one of the things about Lobo is he killed all the Zarnians. He killed all of his own people. But this, you know, origin story. Uh, was put into place to, you know, kind of create more of a hero character out of him finally and saying like, oh no, well, he didn't do it on purpose, you know, but they still haven't concluded the story at all and, and, and given it, shed any light onto, uh, they haven't had a chance to shed any light onto, onto who might have been manipulating him. Yeah. So because of that, you know, they're probably going to rush to get to the end of that story arc, I imagine. It'll, I don't know. It'll, it'll conclude in a few issues. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think most of these books are concluding in December. 
So yeah, okay. We'll see. It's a sep- September right now. September is usually when they have their big event, but they did it early this year with convergence. So I don't know. I I just kind of hope they follow through with a lot of these U- uh, DCU books. I hope so. I, I hope they don't make any more cuts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Well, because of that, I mean, don't you just wish there was someone outside of the big two that had a continuity of their own where characters would just interact with each other in their own respective books and it had, like, a good, rich storytelling and and stuff like that and that was just, like, something new and refreshing. Gee, where could I find such great books like that, Holden? This amazing segue was brought to you by Vigilant Geek Media. And this leads <laughs> very nicely to this week's main subject of the podcast, Valiant Comics. Valiant Comics. Valiant Comics is quite excellent. Um, I stumbled upon it back in uh, a couple years ago. They were doing this crossover event called uh, Harbinger Wars. And like I've been known to do, I see something on the shelf and I became quite interested in... Uh, I got into it, and I end up picking up a lot of back issues. But before we get into uh, the characters, who they are, what they do, and why you should care, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson. I just want to point out that, uh, you know, Holden became a real Valiant Comics guru uh, over the past couple of years. And uh, over the past uh, almost a year now, he's gotten me into reading uh, most of Valiant's main titles and main marquee characters and i just have to say that we here at the vigilant geek and at vigilant geek media we love valiant comics we we are very passionate about this this uh line of books that we're going to talk about but uh without further ado we're back to mr orm with some history all right um for those of you not familiar with valiant comics um certainly very critically acclaimed right now but uh, back in the day, they were founded back in 1989 by former Marvel uh, by former Marvel editor in chief Jim Shooter and former Marvel writer editor Bob Layton. Um, they came up with a lot of uh, a lot of the characters and everything back then. Uh, then in 1994, Valiant's main venture capital investor Triumph sold the company to video game developer Acclaim. Now, I believe everyone in the 90s is familiar with Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Oh, hell yeah. But a lot of people probably are not familiar that at the time, Turok Dinosaur Hunter was a property that was from Valiant. Um, it was a, he was a Valiant character. Um, I believe he's a gold key property right now, but back then he was a property of Valiant. And oh, really? He's a gold key character? Well, um... Let's see. Uh, I think his property had died. For some reason, I thought Dark Horse had that property, but it, I could totally no, be it, wrong about that. Because Dyna- Dynamite Comics, another uh, they're trying to make a name for themselves. They have a lot of the older characters. They have like uh, the old pop culture type characters, yeah, yeah, like they, Green Hornet, like and, Doc Savage, Zorro, yeah, yeah, Magnus Robot Fighter, which was also a Valiant character for some time. That's and, right, and Torok. So. I, I wish Valiant still had Turok, though, because Turok is so cool. I think he would have meshed probably really well with uh, some of the like outside-of-time characters, like Arai. 
Yeah. I, th- I think it probably would have uh, made made some more sense. Also, oh, Magnus Robot Fighter probably would have made sense too with Rai as well, since mm. it kind of takes place in the future. But so further down the line, in 2004, Acclaim shut down and ceased all activities, and this included Valiant Comics. So the, the this is this whole line of books that were doing fairly well, but Acclaim just couldn't make a good video game to save their life. And just everything just ceased. But life was brought back. The company restarted in 2005 as Valiant Entertainment by entrepreneurs Dinesh Shamdasani and Jason Kothari. Um, so they continued to build up the company before, um, not yet releasing books. And then in 2011, they hired several executives from Marvel and Wizard Entertainment and then finally, Valiant officially launched its publishing division in 2012. That means putting out comic books with a summer of Valiant in uh, 2012. Um, currently, right now, uh, you might want to keep your ear to the ground because they've signed a co-financing deal for full live-action full feature films with DMG. The first film will be slated in 2017 with Bloodshot and I've heard that they're going to do Harbinger movies as well and, and Exo Manowar right um I haven't heard that one quite as much as Bloodshot and Harbinger but they really should oh yeah well I'm sure if you know no contracts have been made they will be made at some point in the future that's a, another hard another heavy duty title of theirs so one of the great strengths Valiant Comics has is it it has probably the best continuity in any comics universe that I've ever seen. There aren't too many that do crossovers with characters and have the timelines make sense for what one character is doing with another and how they interact and everything else. The Valiant's just masters at this. They do it better than DC. They do it better than Marvel. Easily. And they have an extensive uh, roster of characters that they... Um, that they have, and I uh, now is a good a time is just to introduce you to a lot of the characters within the Valiant universe. Let's do it. So our first character would be Exo Manowar. Uh, he's part of takes part in the uh, Exo Manowar book right now. It's being written by Robert Vendetti. It's been going on for let's see, well since 2012 because it was there when the uh, Valiant was reinitially launched, and they have not had a an unsatisfying arc yet, as far as story is concerned. Um, Exo Manowar himself is named Eric. He's a Visigoth prince that was abducted by an alien race called the Vine back in, uh, around BC. Like around 1B, like a couple years before BC, maybe 200 years before that. Um. He's a Vith- uh, bleh. I, I just did a major tongue twister there. He was a Visigoth warrior. He was. Uh, he was, wow, uh, his uncle, his uncle was the, uh, <laughs> king of the Visigoths. And, uh, I guess they were, historically, they were kind of evicted from their land by the Huns, and then they went to go settle elsewhere. And then that's when they ran into the Roman Empire. And they're, they're getting into conflicts with the Roman Empire at this time. And then, um, Eric is uh, like a brash young man, and he ends up getting in the situation where he thought he was fighting Romans. Well, he wasn't. He was fighting this alien race called the Vine with these mechs. So they're kidnapped, and they're 
forced to become slave labor on top of a ship to grow these plants in just terrible, awful conditions and tortured by this alien race called the Vine. Well, on that ship, they have this artifact, this armor, uh, that the Vine worship and call Shannara. And what happens is after several years, like, they get into some terrible conflicts, his hands cut off, and he goes, and then they revolt, and they break out, and... They get cornered, and he goes, and he sees this armor. Now, the armor, the vine had been trying to wear it for years. Every time one of the vine thinks is chosen to be worthy to go wear the armor, he puts on the armor, like, morphs onto his body, and it kills him. Well, this time, Eric goes, he touches it. It bonds to him, but it doesn't kill him. All of a sudden, he's got this badass cybernetic armor, and he uses it to break free of the vine and just completely just smashes them. Just, they just can't handle him with this armor. He's shooting energy beams. He's got energy swords. They can't hurt him because the armor's damn near invincible. Yeah, that's so cool. So he gets kind of overwhelmed, and he goes back to Earth. But he's he's misplaced in time. And it's the modern day. It's 2012 back on Earth. and And he can't find his people. Everyone that he had known is now dead. And he's he's just this fish out of water. He's this ancient warrior in super modern armor in the modern day world and he's he's just trying to cope and figure out how to what to do and over time the characters really evolved um he's gotten into some some pretty big confrontations uh we've had some amazing story arcs like i said and he's just a really interesting character oh yeah now i caught up uh or I, I, sorry, I didn't catch up, but I, I jumped on the Exo, uh, Man of War train right after Armor Wars ended, uh, and Dead Hand began, uh, which was a really cool story arc. Dead Hand was a really cool, like, contingency plan that the Armor Hunters, uh, put into place in case they failed, which they did, cause Exo, uh, and the Unity team, and the Unity team defeated them. them, and, uh, no, no, so that was a great crossover event. Uh, Unity is kind of Valiant's own form of the Justice League. It's their resident super team. Uh, right now, it, comp- it will, at the time of the Armor Hunters, uh, crossover event, it was composed of Exo Manowar, Bloodshot, Livewire, Ninjak, and the Eternal Warrior, or Glod. And, uh, all, the, right. all these, uh, they had to join their, once again, join forces in order to defeat the armor hunters. And the armor hunters, their sole purpose is to hunt down all these, uh, the Exo Man of War armor is not unique. There are other armors throughout space. And what it turns out is, is that the armors are actually sentient. It's this virus that takes over its host and then just goes nuts and <laughs> contaminates everything in the world until it just kills everybody. And the armor hunter's sole purpose was to kill all these armors. And they had these special spears that were designed from this tree, which it's like the armor's like organic. It like grows on a tree and then it's, then it acts like a virus and it infects the cells and some things. And it's got its own healing powers and eventually it just consumes the host. But for some reason it's not doing this to Eric. Anyways. Such a cool, this is such a cool concept. It's so out of the box and it's so well thought out. Uh, 
you know, it's just, it's not like, you know, a typical superhero origin in any, uh, means of the word. Uh, no, and, uh, they don't hold back. Uh, these books are fairly much for, for mature audiences. Uh, they don't hold back with a lot of concepts. They're usually, uh, on the border, on the verge of, uh, like, usually deserve more of a heavy teen rating. Um, cause there are a lot of adult concepts, a lot of gore, a lot of, uh, a lot of violence, um, sexual situations, but nothing overly obscene. Um, and it really allows for, for fantastic storytelling. And from what I've seen, the editorial people over at Valiant really allow the writers and the artists to, to put their own creative spin on what's going on. With these characters, they they aren't really held back, but at the same time, they work together with the other uh, writers and artists to interact and create stories that affect the whole Valiant universe as a whole. So, um, and that might just be their uh, formula for success in the future. You just wait. That's their greatest strength because um, they are the most you know cutting edge. Uh, out of the box thinkers in the graphic novel game at this point in time, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we, you know, we read is, I mean, we don't read everything, but we read we're, a lot. We're getting, we're getting pretty, <laughs> clo- we're getting pretty close. Yeah. Um, but eventually, uh, we're gonna pretty much damn near read everything. And, uh, right now, I, I always enjoy my Valiant titles. Oh, likewise. No, no, I mean, and the, probably the biggest strength is that it, it is a universe in itself, not unlike a Marvel or a DC. And all these characters, the, they interact with each other seamlessly. Um, depend, and no matter what's going on within the world, because a lot of crazy stuff kind of happens within the Valiant universe, especially right now. Um, a lot of great char- character development, too, over time. Um, who's our next uh, character on the list? Ivar the Time Walker. So, written by Fred Van Lente, by the way. Yes, uh, another uh, just another uh, absolute whiz over at Valiant. Um, he he does great action and and buddy buddy stuff, uh, good fantasy type stuff. Um, he uh, initially at Valiant he started off writing Archer and Armstrong. Um, Ivar. Is, uh, the oldest brother out of a trio. There's Ivar, who's also known as the Time Walker. There's Aram, who's also known as Armstrong. And then there's Galad, who in the Valiant Universe is known as the Eternal Warrior. Or uh, EW, as some of them call him. Yeah, if you're, if you're on good terms with him, you know. Good, but not everybody can call him that. Or E-dubs. Just no, his, literally. Just his bros. <laughs> no, he isn't even like his brothers. They all hate each other. Yeah, they all get along. Uh, their story is, you first meet all of them at the beginning of Archer and Armstrong. And what happens is, is they uh, they all live in the ancient city of Ur, which is actually where the epic poem uh, Gilgamesh takes place. Ooh, Gilgamesh. And as it turns out, Ivar, Aram, and Galad go to this place called the Faraway to retrieve this artifact of enormous power called the Boon. And during the retrieval of this process, uh, they they end up encountering all this stuff. Galad ends up uh, getting killed, and they end up taking his body, and they grab the Boon, and they head back to Ur. 
And what happens from there is that Ivar is going to use the boon's immense power to bring Galad back to life. Aram says, no, you gotta, like, that's not how what he would have wanted. Like, you just leave the dead lie. This is too powerful. You shouldn't use that. It's not safe, blah, blah, blah. And then Ivar's like, well, I'm gonna do it anyway. So he does. And the boon is so powerful, it pretty much kills an enormous part of the world's population and takes all their souls and puts them in the Aram's body, but it revives Galad, and then Ivar uh, disappears to this, I guess, the end of time. And so this makes Aram, who is already incredibly strong as he was, it makes it so that he always regenerates, and it, made, it makes him so he is immortal. And it also made Galad immortal. And pretty much all three of them become immortal because of this process. So, the first character, Ivar, the Time Walker, he ends, he's the genius. The eldest brother, he's the genius. That's his thing. He's just genius level intellect. And what he does is he finds these holes in time and he does kind of a Doctor Who thing where he goes to these portals and he runs through time going on adventures and stuff. Which I love, by the way. Which I've, is, I've been getting a huge kick out of that title. Which since. it's uh, that's the book that he's working on right now. It's it is it's it's very fun book. The art's been great, and the concept with the Prometheans has been really cool. It's uh, um, it's it, this great mix of of humor and action and fantasy. Um, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and uh, and it's just gone really well i mean i'm i'm a big fans of all these characters i'm big fans of every valiant character to tell you the truth so bear with me if i get too fanboyish oh uh, we'll give you uh liberty on that uh for this podcast yes <laughs> so then the second brother uh aram he he's more the uh the creative type he's the kind of, he's a touchy-feely kind of guy even though he's super strong um he ends up spending most of his days getting really hammered because he's seen, uh, being immortal, he's seen a lot of terrible things. He's trying to dull his senses. Um, uh, he drinks so much that any mortal man would have died of liver disease hundreds of times over, but since he's immortal <laughs> and he regenerates because of the, like, uh, this, the, all these souls that he's imbued with from the boon, he just continues on. Um, and his first appearance was in Archer and Armstrong, where he ended up meeting Archer, who I'll uh, talk about a little later. And then there's Gilad. Gilad, he's uh, he's the he's the fighter. He's the also the youngest brother, um, also immortal. And after he was revived, he found purpose because the Earth chose him to be the Earth's champion. His job was to become. The guard, the bodyguard of the Geomancer. Now, a Geomancer within the Valiant Universe is a human being who's chosen once a generation by the Earth to be the speaker for the Earth. They speak, literally speak for the Earth, and this allows them to have control of all the landscape. They're in touch with all the living things and life force on the planet. And Galad's main purpose is to be the bodyguard and protector of the Geomancer. And over his time, he gets in conflict with uh, people who try to use the Geomancer or kill the Geomancer. Uh, in one of the Archer and Armstrong arcs, he into, encounters this um, group called the Null Sect. And this this part of the universe that is trying to make the universe like not exist. It wants to bring everything to zero. 
That's how it tries to create balance. And it does some hilarious things. Like, they always have meetings at 3 o'clock because it's too early and too late to do anything. <laughs> and uh, and they, they have, like, secret bases hitting on uh, golf courses because in golf, the game, the main purpose of golf is to get as close to zero as you can. And large empty spaces. And... And, uh, they, they encountered this, this strange, so it's like, it's not like a, a main villain, it's just this part of the universe that's trying to just, like, wipe out, like, everything and bring everything back to zero. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of when they encounter Archer and Armstrong, and that was, uh, Gilad's first, uh, appearance in the newer editions of, uh, Valiant that started out in 2012. And he ends up meeting the new Geomancer, and there was a misunderstanding where Gilad was trying to kill Archer because the old Geomancer ended up getting killed, but they were both there, and one of them has the book of the Geomancer. And it was just this delightful mess. And it it was cool because you get to interact with some of the characters who Gilad, the Eternal Warrior, didn't have a book at the time. So... This is, shows how the great continuity was because now they're interacting with other characters within the Valiant universe who may not necessarily have a book of their own at the time, but still are there and still enrich the story and has just like flawless crossover stuff. Um, and this, and it's, uh, and then there's Galad and, uh, as a character, like I said, the Eternal Warrior and he, uh, currently appears regularly in the Unity book. Uh, Unity, like I said before, or if I hadn't uh, mentioned it yet. Well, you, you mentioned uh, the very first lineup, but it's changed a little bit since it, then. It, it, it always changes a little bit. It has its own variations. Yeah. Um, so who do we got on the roster at this point in time? We got Ninjack, uh, it's, uh, Ninjack Livewire, Livewire Exo Manowar, Galad, and GNGR. The, right. the giant sentient robot that uh, was the spaceship slash base of operations. It's this sentient galactic robot that, uh, and she, it's a she. And, <laughs> well, giving robots sexes is kind of silly. It is. But, uh. You know, I just have to say that as, as cool of a concept as that, you know, robot spaceship is, like, it's definitely something that, like, someone's kid like came up with and said hey dad can you put this in my comic or put this in your comic book you know or i'm just kidding around no it really does sound like something they do (laughs) um but uh yeah i don't know little out there but you know you're gonna get out there things when you're reading out of the box material like this and then uh so this is uh before i introduce archer i'm gonna fill in to everyone what a psyot is a psyot it was a terrible segue. But a Psyot is a psychic who manifests uh, power, like psychic powers, and they, they all manifest differently. So not everyone's just like a telekinetic read your mind. They, they do all sorts of crazy things. And, uh, and they're kind of a lot like what, like the next step in human evolution. So they're kind of like mutants are in Marvel right now. So one Psyot who is the other half of Archer and Armstrong, is Obadiah Archer. Um, Archer's backstory is is he was kidnapped as a young boy because the uh, Project Rising Spirit, one of the uh, 
secret government agency found out that he's a psyot. And they found out his ability is he can... Anytime he sees something, he just, like, instantly will, like, memorize it. So, like, he... He knows all sorts of forms of martial arts, and it also makes it so he can also mimic any psyot power, like stun rams or ghost mode or psychic shield. Which I just think is really cheap, by the way. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, he's got, like, the, some of the cheapest uh, powers ever. Yeah. But, I mean, with that Once being... Once again, <laughs> with the, the little kid logic. But it, Yeah, it, but either way, no, it's it, still very cool. That comes across really well, but he doesn't use most of those superpowers. Usually he just uses his knowledge to, with martial arts, because he ends up being... Um, taken over by uh, a branch of the sect. Now, the sect is the Illuminati of the real uh, of the world of Valiant, and there's different branches. The one he was part of was these kind of uh, Christian religious extremists. Uh, it was this um, senator and her evangelist preacher husband. And they had, they say they adopt Oba, Obadiah and they, they brainwashing him into making him think that he's their real son. And then they have also a bunch of other orphans that they adopt and they all train them to be assassins. And they it's all so live, messed up. <laughs> and they all live on this, uh, and they all live on some commune or something. Yeah. The, it's yeah. not, the, it's this Christian theme park. Oh my lord. So, and then they're, my they're lord. all treated, uh, <laughs> Uh, and then they're all hidden within the park, and they live there, and they're all trained to be assassins. And Welcome where, to Assassin Park. Uh, this is where uh, o- Obadiah Arch was trained. Well, uh, the, the Archer and Armstrong story starts off is Armstrong is a thorn in the side of every branch of the sect. They call him the person who must not be named because he's immortal and he's just kind of ruining all their plans from the 1% to... Uh, Project Rising Spirit to, uh, uh, the, uh there's a, a dozen different branches. It gets... All the bad people of the world. All these Illuminati types. Yeah. All these secret organizations. I love it. I love it. I love when they go after the 1%. That is, uh, one story arc I was able to read. It was very cool. No, it's hilarious. So it starts off, uh, Archer is sent to destroy, uh, to kill Armstrong or Aram. He goes by Armstrong, and he they find him. He finds him. He's being a bouncer in a bar, um, and they know they can't kill him, and then they find out that uh, the people are trying to reassemble the boon because Armstrong hid all the parts all over the world because it's too powerful for humans to use, but they're trying to get their hands on it to, you know, create a new world order. And, uh, and then they get along, and then... Archer's idea of what the world is has really changed because he kind of grew up secluded from civilization. So he's got these, like, these strange ideas that he was taught, which aren't necessarily the case. And Armstrong's teaching him how to live, and then, and Archer's trying to get Aram more into faith and stuff. And it's kind of like. Less into drinking, probably. <laughs> yeah, and less into drinking and womenizing. And, uh, it's, it, it's really good. Uh, it's probably one of my, well, every title is my favorite title. I hear you. And th- they had some great arcs. Uh, first arc, they're trying to stop the sect from reassembling the boon. Then the second arc, they go ahead and they meet up with Gilad and the, and the new Geomancer. 
and they're trying to stop the null sect and and they get a lot of into this uh kind of it kind of feels Indiana Jonesy like they're going after these rare artifacts and they're getting involved in a lot of conspiracy and it's a lot of fun very cool so as you may know psyots have an enormous role within the valiant universe huge role they they're big power players and uh so the most powerful psyot in in the world of valiant is toyo harada he's uh one of the few psyots who was activated naturally um he was activated when he was he watched uh japan get hit by the first atomic bomb and he's a psychic who can raise psychic shields he can fly he can enter your mind and manipulate you just super powerful and in the beginning he he's part of the harbinger foundation which is his company and he has this other side he knows called the bleeding monk and the bleeding monk is um a precog and he can see the future and he's using that for all the insider trading information to make the Harbinger Foundation an incredibly powerful corporation within the Valiant Universe. Now, meanwhile, the Harbinger Foundation, which no one really has anything on them, they're bumping heads with this, the shady government organization, Project Rising Spirit. But we'll get more to that a little later. Um, so what happens is is that uh, Harada ends up encountering uh, the most powerful psi out of his generation, which would be Peter Stanchek. And Peter has a power set relatively close to what Toyo Harada can do, except he also has the ability to activate Psyots, because normally activating Psyots, you gotta put them through this machine, and the process can, it like, might kill people, and they, it's some part of someone's genetic code, whether or not they're, uh, Oh, it might kill active. people, eh, you I know. mean, Toma- well, Tomato, tomato. Like, eh, you might die, or you might get sweet powers. Would you take the risk, Holden? Uh, I, I w- totally would. I've wanted power since I've been six. I, I feel like I would take the, the, I would take it too. I would take the risk. It would just be so cool to have those powers, and it would really suck to die, but. Nah. I don't know. It'd probably be over quick. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but on to other powers, topics. Powers, though, <laughs> like <laughs> powers. Come on, you 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 gotta have powers. Powers are just so awesome. Ugh, so awesome. <laughs> so, anyways, Harada's trying to mold Peter into being his second in command and mold him in his image to, like, show him how he's going to manipulate the world. and uh, Be evil like me. Well, he's not necessarily evil. He's just... He's he's evil, but he's misguided. He thinks he's going he to save good. the yeah. world from itself into following his utopian vision. And, unfortunately, part of that vision doesn't really necessary for an awful lot of free will from the rest of the world. Right. That's kind of why he ends up bumping heads with Project Rising Spirit. Well, Peter ends up rebelling against Harada, and this is the main uh, plot line of the entire series of Harbinger, uh, which would start out fairly early. And Harbinger, he, it just starts out like he gets integrated into the Harbinger Foundation, and then he's just like, 
oh no, I'm not doing this because he finds out his other insane buddy because he it was mentally admitted to a hospital. One of the neat things, well, interesting things, I don't know how neat it is. <laughs> One of the interesting things about Peter Stanchek is that that he he can't handle his powers. He, he just without even meaning to, he's just he hears all the voices inside everyone's head around him, and it just it, like it, it's kind of driving him nuts. So he wow. uses his powers of influence of the mind on pharmacists and picks up heavy-duty drugs like Dilaudid and Percocet and, and like all these benzos like Clonopin and, and oh, Xanax wow. and 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 that's like and he just takes all these pills to try to get the voices to stop. So he just like uses his powers to just like just use like heavy-duty drugs. And well, there's one way to go about it, I guess. Yeah, so finally he realizes that he can't do that, and he meets this girl named Chris, who was nice to him in school, but he kind of, like, makes her do what he wants to be his, like, friend, and then she realizes that she did the mind trick on him and doesn't really trust him, but now she's part of it, too, because the Harbinger Foundation kind of knows what she's up to, and Project Rising Spirits, like... Their big thing is that they're trying to capture psyops because they think they're a menace to society and they're trying to protect the public at large. So they send out the hardcore. Uh, right? Well, their, their main weapon, uh, bloodshot and they reestablish yeah. hardcores, okay. which the hardcores is they take these individuals who have nothing really to lose and they're compatible with these implants and through the use of a satellite, they, they can download and use one Psyot ability at the time, depending on what you're what you're using. So, which is but, pretty neat and pretty cool way to fight fire with fire, so to speak. That's it. it very much is. But uh, Peter ends up rebelling against Harada. He goes loose. He gets the list of potential psyots, and he ends up encountering uh, like uh, the, the the misfits, the people at the bottom of the list who they don't they don't think are going to do very well. There's one this uh, one girl who's a stripper in Louisiana. Who's a pyromancer? He activates her. Then he activates. Uh, before that, he activates Faith, who's one of the most interesting characters in Valiant. In the fact that she's a plus-sized girl, she's a big fan girl. She loves comics and sci-fi and everything, and she just loves the idea that she now she's got the opportunity to be a hero. And she's has her own checkered past. Her. her her fan, parents were big sci-fi fans, but they ended up dying in a car crash. And and Peter ends up activating her potential, and it allows her to fly. She can now fly, and she can also project a, a companion field and allow someone else to fly with her. And uh, so she's one of the most interesting characters in, uh, in that they're taking someone and allowing positive body image for someone who's overweight and... If you've been reading comics for any length of time, they like super skinny women with enormous racks, not oh, yeah. <laughs> really naturally proportioned. Um, so here we have somebody who's it's more realistic, who's just kind of a fun character yeah, and, yeah. and really an idealist. And then they have Torque. Um, Torque is a kid. He's like 16. He spends a lot of time like watching MTV in his trailer, and when Peter finds him, Peter activates his psyot ability, and it turns out that now Torque Torque can go ahead and project a psychic, psychic, an invulnerable psychic image of what he wants himself to look like, and he ends up being this like enormous jacked bro 
like kind of like a <laughs> like a Jersey Shore douche and yeah, and it, and it allows him. He's got the super gorilla strength. juice head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so between the four of them, they become like the renegades, you know. And then they're on the run from Harada, and eventually they end up like bumping heads with Project Rising Spirit. Now Project Rising Spirit, like I said before, a uh, very important part of the Valiant universe. They are also evil. Yeah, kind of a really shady government agency, and their their secret weapon is. Uh, I don't know. Well, no, it's a it's a good time to go ahead and segue with that. Yeah. Is uh, is uh, Bloodshot? Now, Bloodshot's probably one of the more recognizable Valiant characters. Uh, you may have heard of him. He uh, he he kind of has the feel of a Deadpool or a Wolverine. He's, oh, absolutely. What they do yeah. is they take they they took a human man and they're you they pumped him full of these these nanites. These nano machines that These give them tiny little bugs, tiny but little machines, they're mechanical, yeah, yeah, and then they're microscopic though in your bloodstream. He's got and, uh, millions of them, and it allows him to just like hack in uh, any machinery super fast. It allows him to also regenerate extremely quickly, so you could like dump like a whole box of fifty cal ammo through him, and he'll just regenerate, and he'll just keep coming. He's like a like a T one thousand. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then they manipulate his memories to go ahead and carry out assassinations, and most of the time, uh, kidnap or kill psyots because among the psyot community, Bloodshot's known as the psyot killer, and he's just so powerful that even the most powerful psyots really can't handle him. Um, and actually, they had a really interesting matchup. Harada faced off against Bloodshot, and Bloodshot had this. Uh, programming within the nanites this special protocol if he should ever encounter harada and the black project rising spirit knew about harada and they knew how dangerous he was and it was just this one of the brawls for the ages wow what arc was that in uh harbinger wars harbinger wars i'm gonna have to go back and read that one it was a oh it was awesome yeah it was so awesome that's a must a must do because this is when bloodshot kind of got like he became more uh Lucid and kind of realized that Project Spirit was using it, Rising Spirit was using him, and he goes back to free all the Psyot children that he had kidnapped for them, because Project Rising Spirit had uh, create was creating strike teams out of these Psyot children and using them to not on like um, not on like hardcore to go ahead and and carry out these really shady black ops missions uh, and just like take care of business, you know, like uh, this. They were in China, like, with this virus, and they created and it got out of control, and people got super infected, and they sent the kids in to go ahead and kill everybody and make it, like, it, it never existed and completely cover up the entire thing. And Pro- Project Rising Spirit's kind of go-to thing is, is that these brain implants that gave the hardcore um, people their psyop powers, well, they were putting, installed them into all the children from... Um, all these Psyot children. And so they have to do what they say or else they'll detonate the, a bomb in their head and then they're just dead. So they have to do what they say. Kind of a suicide squad. Kind of like a suicide squad. Kind of like yeah. suicide squad. Yeah. So these kids and the, the the main premise of the Harbinger Wars story arc was uh, the Peter Stanchek hears about what's going on with the Psyot kids. They go to Las Vegas to try to help them because they got the Bellagio on lockdown and then the other half of the Psyot kids 
who ended up escaping when uh, Bloodshot ended up uh, making an assault on the place to free the kids because he's trying to make good. And there's a misunderstanding. The renegades end up fighting uh, Bloodshot, and then between the two, they get they just kind of neutralize each other. They get so messed up, and then Harada comes in, takes advantage of the situation, and takes the Psyot kids and brings them to the Harbinger Foundation, where he's like, oh no, we'll help you. We're Psyots helping Psyots. But meanwhile, he's still got his own agenda, and he just kind of doubles his roster of the amount of Psyots yeah. he has within the Harbinger Foundation. So he's getting ready to indoctrinate these kids, and meanwhile, the kids don't see the difference. They they just see one organization that's going to use them to another organization. And exactly. And, you know, it's funny because you see a lot of those same themes going on right now in the X-Men books, too, uh, where, you know, you get different groups of mutants doing the same thing these corporations are doing to some of those stray uh, young mutants that are out there. Yeah, uh, this is a very similar uh, situation uh, in regards to the Harbinger. So, uh, all in all, the, the, the whole aspect of uh, Psyots is... Just amazing. Um, who, who else do we got on tap? Uh, there are a lot of well, lot more valiant characters we need to go over. Well, we 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 talked we talked Bloodshot briefly, uh, but you know, let me uh, just go ahead and see what's going on right now uh, with him. Absolutely, go for it, man. So, uh, you know, uh, industry titan Jeff Lemire uh, is writing Bloodshot. It's actually Bloodshot Reborn. Uh, is, uh, the title that's out right now. And basically, Bloodshot Reborn started right after, uh, the big crossover event, The Valiant, uh, finished. What happened was, Bloodshot was actually, uh, tasked with, uh, trying to save the Geomancer, uh, from the, uh, immortal enemy. And they got into a real nasty square, like square off in a, in a shopping mall. Uh, and it, it, it was a, a real bloody dragged out fight. But at the end, uh, uh, Kay McHenry, the current geomancer, uh, during that story arc, um, you know, she, she falls at the hands of the immortal enemy. So, um, before she dies, uh, she does one supposed, supposedly nice thing for Bloodshot, uh, cause they sort of had feelings for each other and, and what have you. Uh, so what she does is she uses her powers that, uh, she obtained from becoming the Geomancer, the powers that come from the Earth, and she is able to remove the nanites from Bloodshot's bloodstream, uh, basically turning him back into just a normal human being. Uh, I believe he was going by the name Ray... Palmer. Ray, no, Ray Palmer's the Atom. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ray Donovan, I want to say? Mm. Ray Garrison. Ray Garrison. Is it Ray Garrison? Yeah. I, know that, it's, I knew it was a Ray. No, Bloodshot, because his memory's been wiped numerous times, he's gone by multiple aliases before. But, um... His old alias, one of his old aliases, Ray Garrison, that's the name he chooses at the beginning of Bloodshot Reborn. And, and that starts out where, uh, you know, he, he's just a normal human being and he's trying to uh, live a normal human life. And it doesn't last very long. 
Uh, he's, you know, living at this flea bag motel and he's, uh, fixing toilets there and, and what have you and drowning himself in alcohol and drugs every night, uh, to try to forget all of the horrible things from his past. Uh, of course, you know, duty calls, uh, later on in the arc, we find that the nanites that have escaped bloodshot have scattered across, across the country, across the globe, and, uh, these new nanite infested people are going crazy, and they are murdering people. Well, bloodshot feels an obligation here, where, you know, those nanites were once his, he needs to collect them and return them to their proper container. So he's, he's sacrificing, uh, you know, living, getting a chance to live a normal human life because he knows he has to do the right thing in getting the nanites back. So, you know, we're following Bloodshot currently, uh, as he hunts down each of these nanite infested, uh, serial killers. So, uh, that's where the story is pretty much left off. Uh, I suppose I should add that during this whole process of gaining his nanites back, uh, Bloodshot is going more and more insane, uh, and he's, he's seeing, uh, the Geomancer, Kay McHenry, and he's seeing Blood Squirt, which is this little cartoon Bloodshot. I don't know if they got that actually, uh, <clears throat> I'd hate to think that Valiant would ever rip anything off, but I feel like little Deadpool was going on before Blood Squirt. Well, that's a thing. Um, there it's a very too, nitpicky thing. There but. aren't too many ideas that are completely original. Like, oh, having people with powers. Well, people have powers in this book. Yeah, You're copying yeah. me. I made guys who had powers first. I mean, I think it's more important with what you do with the idea as opposed to whether or not you're using an idea someone else is already using. Yeah, it's sort of like every you know, there's a saying in literature where everything's already been told, like every story's already been told, but it hasn't been told in your way. That's what they tell you, I guess, you know, if you go to school for literature. Well, uh, it's, it's pertinent with comic books just as well. Uh, so there you have it. So, um, I suppose moving on from Bloodshot, uh, we can talk about some of these more fringier characters, I suppose. Uh, well, they, it's one of the nice things about Valiant's characters is each of them takes on a nice literary aspect, you know? Some of them are badass action, some of them are uh, fantasy, some of them are sci-fi, some of them are comedy relief. Some are even horror. We'll some get into some that are too. even horror. Yeah, that's very, very true. But, um, some are even pornography. Well, actually, I don't think they have they have that. I don't know. Maybe I missed that issue. Nah, they don't have that. I was just trying to, <laughs> trying to see if all of our many viewers are awake, or listeners. Rather. Well, I'm awake, and I caught that, kind of. <laughs> anyway, um, I suppose uh, we should probably talk about Ninjak. We, we should definitely talk about Ninjak. So Ninjak is a character. Uh, his normal identity is Colin King. Um, he works for MI6 as a ninja super spy. Um, he kind of is like a ninja that has, like, gadgets on the level of Batman gadgets. Yeah, he's a really cool, somewhat unique character where, uh, you know, he's 
he's got the martial arts skills, but he's also super like, you know, he's like a billionaire. He's got he's got all, all sorts of unlimited resources. He does. Um, he first appeared in the this incarnation of uh, Valiant Comics. Is he's he's sent by MI6 in order to. Well, actually, I think he takes an independent job. Normally, he's an MI6 agent, but this time he takes an independent job from uh, one of these. The Vine, the aliens, they have uh, people living on Earth that look exactly like humans, but they're they're part of the Vine Collective, this alien race that bumps heads with Exo Manowar very often. And they hire Ninjak to kill, um, to capture Exo Manowar because they want the armor back. They want the armor back and they want to kill Eric. So... Uh. For all of Ninjak's skills, he can't really handle the total package that is Exo Manowar. No. And they end up getting into it, and then eventually they end up realizing that, like, oh, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, handle, I, I can't handle him, and then he finds out that, oh, wait, so... He finds out the Vine were the ones who were going to hire him, and he's like, all right, well, I don't like a shady aliens. Like, I only really, like, I feel comfortable taking humans' money, but, like, I don't like alien conspiracy for the Earth. I kind of like the status quo and being, like, the assassin super spy that I am, like, for humans. So they team up, and they take out uh, this faction of the Vine who are deep-seated in uh, MI6. And, and they move along and then Ninjak's like, says to Eric, like, alright, well, till next time, cause, you know, Ninjak never knows who's gonna end up fighting. He's like, one of the things he, he said in, uh, in, uh, the big arc going on right now that's universe wide, uh, in the book of death, he says, oh yeah, we are friends, till we're not. And, right. that, um, that, that rings true in this part of the story. And, uh, Ninjak got his own book. Um, let's see, what are we on up? Uh, is it on like book nine or, uh, or like eight? Book eight, seven or eight. So he's been going strong. It's been written by Matt Kint, who has done an amazing job on each of the um, Valiant titles that he's been writing on. And I got a mark down for three. Uh, I don't know if there's any more than that, but besides Ninjak, I know that he also uh, wrote Divinity. And Rye, which are two out of this world uh, sci-fi tales. Oh, well, it's a uh, good time as any to go ahead and introduce those characters. Well, uh, why don't we start? I suppose we should start with Rye then. Uh, uh, Rye is a book that I uh, just started picking up mainly because I love the artwork. It is so just out of this world. It's trippy. It's it pops out at you when you open up the book and look at it. Uh, it sucks you right in. Uh, artist, uh, Clayton Crane, uh, does the pencil work, uh, on this book and, and, uh. The art is amazing. It's not, it's one valiant title that I'm actually not reading, but the, the more and more I, I check it out, uh, and the, the more and more my bank account swells, the more I want to go ahead and get the back issues. Um, so I, you're, you're waving it in front of me right now. It, it I'm, looks good. I'm, I'm teasing you. It looks very nice. <laughs> I'm holding it, but you can't read it. Nuh uh. It's mine. Then us. No, we, have, we, we share our trade paperbacks all the time. That's what we do. We're buddies. But, um, 
Spry is a very f- cool, very futuristic tale written by Matt Kent uh, about what Japan might be like in the 41st century. So the year is 4001 AD, and we're looking at a very, uh, very different, uh, different Japan in, in appearance wise and also in infrastructure wise. Uh, what they essentially did is they built, they started building, uh, their major cities, uh, into one giant city, yeah, Japan, I, and then and then they and then basically what they did is everything's been become everything's become urbanized in such a way that they had to start building upward. Yeah, they so they. they uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, either way, they 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 started building these sectors of Japan, and they they go up miles and miles into the atmosphere but it's also got the same geosynchronicity uh as our orbit uh around the sun and because of that uh it has structural integrity apparently so it's japan has an essentially become a satellite that orbits the earth i couldn't have said it better than that that is probably the best way to describe it so um you know Put that in your pipe and smoke it for a second, and then think of this. So all of said satellite of Japan that is orbiting the Earth is ruled by an artificial intelligence by the name of Father. And where Rai comes into play is Rai is actually uh, basically Father's soldier. He's... Known to most as mainly like a folk hero, uh, a lot of people, it's sort of like when Batman was starting out, like no one really thought he was real, you know, uh, <clears throat> same deal here, uh, with Rai, uh, but basically you have some political stuff going on as well where, uh, there hasn't been a death, there hasn't been a, mur- not a death, but there hasn't been a murder uh, committed in Japan in over 5,000 years. Uh, and the first murder was committed. Uh, these people called raddies, which are like radicals, mm-hmm. they stand up for uh, the rights of artificial intelligence units, basically, a.k.a. robots. But they don't like being called robots. It's like one of those politically incorrect things, you know? It's like a play on... Uh, the political correctness of, of, of our society in a way where, oh yeah, they don't like being called robots, but, um, you know, they're also said to not be sentient beings. Uh, that is debatable because we find out a little more about that later on in the, in the, in the story. But basically there's this murder and the raddies have murdered, uh, one of the people that decided to, you know, execute their uh, artificial intelligence. And they throw them, uh, the two raddies, these two, like, punks in the beginning of the story, they throw the body uh, into the water, not realizing that there is this underground, like, restaurant with, like, this fish tank, like, on the ceiling, and, like, everybody sees the dead body. So everyone in Japan knows that 
there's been a murder and it's been try they're trying to cover it up. So Rye has been called into duty. That's about as far as I have gotten, but I have to say that this book really grabbed me and if I wasn't working so much overtime this week, I would have been, I wouldn't have been able to put it down cuz I it's so it's the artwork sucks you in and then the story just keeps you wanting more. So I mean, another old character that was brought back to the Valiant U, uh, and brought back very gracefully and very intelligently. Uh, so, comes with a very high recommendation from me. Now, that's also one of the more in like, more original concepts. The fact that Japan is now a nation that is a satellite above Earth, orbiting Earth. So cool. And then that, like, they don't really have security forces, they have, there's, it's run by an artificial intelligence named Father, and it's got one guardian, which is kind of like a folk hero in, in Rai. And you get to see how it kind of interacts. It's kind of like this samurai. Kind of kind of looks like Bloodshot a little bit, but uh, but it's not. So. Yeah, I mean, we're not quite sure. Like, he seems kind of godlike in a way. He's definitely, you know, <clears throat> he's not a normal mortal being, that's for sure. But we don't know too much more about him yet. I can't wait to read more. And uh, at the next time we cover Valiant, I can't wait to talk more about it. So. Who we got next, man? Keep the ball rolling. We got to keep this ball rolling. Got to keep the show show on the road. Um, well, we t- did we talk Imperium yet? No, no, okay. Oh, it might be a good time to bring up Imperium because that goes right along with the Psyot, uh, stuff you were mentioning earlier. Right, so Harbinger as a series didn't necessarily conclude. The characters are all still within the Valiant universe, but what happened was Peter Stanchak and his group of renegades go ahead and as one final hurrah, they, they align themselves with this genius hacker named Axe and they pull off this thing where they're hacking into the, a base in La, Harbinger uh, Bay, uh, building of operations in Los Angeles and the one in Pittsburgh. So Harada goes to Pittsburgh to stop Peter Tan- Stanchek because that's where he's is individually and they're going to fight head on. Peter's got it in his head like, alright, we're both going down. I don't care what happens. We're like this. It just stops. Today it stops. You're stopping manipulating everybody. Like this is this. This is going to be like the final fight we have, and neither of us are going like coming back from this. So, meanwhile, on the other side, um, the hacker Axe, along with uh, the human girl Chris, who Peter had kind of manipulated before, and one of the Generation Zero Psyots who was freed from. Or actually wasn't initially captured. Uh, she's got this Animalia. She, she's got the power to turn into different animals, but they always look like cartoons because that's how she saw them when she was a kid. And she kinda can turn anything. So Animalia breaks loose Generation Zero, the other Psyots that are being held captive by Harada. Um, and they get out and they're a handful. They're like all like really young kids that are 18 and younger, but they're pretty much combat hardened and far more badass than most of the renegades um and axe goes in he hacks in he gets all the information he can on the harbinger foundation and he just drops it on the internet Boop. 
and the Harbinger Foundation can't cover it up. And everybody in the world knows that they're psyots and what they've been doing and trying to control the markets and, and everything. And it just blows up their spot. And this makes Harada, like, he's pissed and he's getting into this huge fight and somehow ends up for surviving against Peter and Peter just doesn't have the will to kind of like fight on and he goes back in, in, in his ways where he's tricking people into giving him drugs and stuff and and the rest of the world is like oh my god what are we going to do this guy this guy is so powerful we can't get anywhere near him every time we try to do a military strike on him him and his psyops just completely wipe us out we can't deal with it so Harada goes he, he captures the uh the aircraft carrier, the Bush aircraft carrier, craft carrier off the coast of Somalia, takes over Somalia, makes it his new base of operations. Uh, Peter Joe goes back to his, uh, his old ways. Meanwhile, Harad is trying to set up the, his own country in Somalia and he, he brings all his, uh, modern findings and science and, and medical stuff and he's trying to build his utopian society starting there and he's pretty much holding the world hostage and he's like look we're here you can't do anything about it so in the meantime he comes uh, he uh, creates this artificial intelligence called Mech Major who likes to call himself Sunlight on Snow it's a, it's a cute name I like it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then he ends up growing a vine a, assassin uh, called LV-99, and what he does is he uses his psychic powers to remove parts of his genetic code that will make it so that he won't be in communion with the rest of the Vine hive mind. So this thing's going crazy, and it just wants to kill Harada because that's what it was developed for, but he ends up manipulating it so it kills for him. And then he, uh, one of the, he gets one of the hardcore members, the newer ones, called Grave Dog, to defect for him. And... And he's kind of facing off against the rest of the world, and he's getting ready to build his own utopian society, and that's why. And he's forming. It's that. That's the premise of Imperium. Right. He's forming his Imperium. Yeah, and uh, and all. I mean, it's a very intriguing story. It continues the Harbinger storyline very well. Only this time, the main character is kind of the bad guy in Toyo Harada. But, you know, the interesting thing about Imperium, and I've been following that one since the beginning as well, um, you don't really know who to root for, I feel. It's like, you know, it's sort of like a presidential election almost. It's like, do I want the Democrat that's going to plow me up the ass or the Republican that's plowing me up the Well, you know, you got uh, Project Rising Spirit. Oh, yeah, and, they're shady as hell, too. Yeah, and then... They're opposing uh, Harada and his his whole game. I don't know. I kind of look at it like like kind of like wrestling. Like sometimes you just want to root for a good heel. Yeah, like if he's Harada. a real interesting heel, the guy's super powerful and mega badass. Yeah. And he doesn't he doesn't get bested very often. You know, it's just kind of fun to root for that kind of character every once in a while. Like and Stone Cold. <laughs> Give me a hell yeah! What? Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's that's exactly how that is. Well, you think you're more powerful than me? My blast, boom! <laughs> I'll throw you some burrs. But uh, anyway, um, no Imperium. When I talk about these cutting edge uh, stories, these sci- these awesome sci-fi futuristic tales, 
Uh, Imperium is definitely at the tops of that list as well. Uh, just phenomenal, phenomenal, out of the box stuff. Um, Yes, so as it is, as you can see, excellent writing. And then you also, they interact with a lot of characters. You see Prospect Project Rising Spirit uh, kind of involved with m- a lot of the storylines, uh, you know? So you get these different organizations, you get these different characters crossing over. And, and, and this is Imperium is one of the places where you kind of see that. Uh, actually, just recently, they uh, interacted with um, uh, a character that they just came up with. Uh, called Divinity. Great segue, uh, to Divinity, which is a brand new character to the Valiant Universe. Yep. Something we have not seen in a while. He's, uh, he's unique, um, in that he's, uh, he's kind of like, uh, a darker skinned man who grew up in the early days of communist Russia. And he's this cosmonaut, and they're going to, they train him. He's, he's elite. He's really smart. He's got, an, he was an orphan, so there's nothing tying him to the earth, so they think. And they're gonna go ahead and they're gonna send him on this mission that's gonna last years. And they're gonna send him to the edge of the galaxy and then they're gonna have him come back and then tell everybody what he, what he encountered. And he was part of a crew like four. And it turns out that he actually ended up having this relationship with a woman, but he kept it hush hush cause he, he wanted to go ahead and do this for the motherland. Right. And, he goes ahead and he ends up getting launched on this mission to the end of the galaxy and somewhere along the way they count this strange thing and he ends up getting uh getting these omniscient powers of just control over matter and mass and everything around him just he almost sort of mastering becomes like a, a reality like a god he's like a god like almost like a doctor manhattan but i i want to say more powerful you know or at least just as powerful. Right. So, Scary powerful. So he ends up coming back to the modern era. Everyone he cared about is dead. The USSR is no longer even a country. The, the Berlin right. Wall fell. He's back in the modern day, but he's got these, these, uh, these powers. So, um, like the here, the Unity Squad kind of hears about him and he's down in Australia and they send a strike team to kill him. But what he does is he just wants everyone to kind of be happy. Here's this guy who they're afraid of him because he's indoctrinated by uh, the USSR. He's a communist idealist, and and he's got all like all the power. And it's very scary. <laughs> but instead, he 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 starts granting people their deepest desires. One guy wants to be butterflies, and he, he's turned into like a this a group of butterflies. But he's also like kind of a man, and he and the this guy he gets to. Like his his dead wife is brought back to life, and like, and he makes this desolate part of Australia just this fertile with all sorts of life and everything, and he's doing all these great things. But they're like still scared of how powerful he is, so they send Unity to try to to, to capture him, and then he gives everyone from Unity what they want, and then slowly Ninjak was the only one men- uh, strong enough mentally to kind of break the um. The, this beautiful illusion that was going on with him. And, and then he uses his, like, monk mastery training to go ahead and, uh, and, and snap everyone else out of it. And then they find a way to contain him, which they didn't really contain him, but he just kind of realizes, just like, oh, I'm, I'm not gonna bother fighting, you know, cause he's kind of depressed, cause it turns out that the, the woman he loved and, and the, 
the child that she was pregnant with had both died and they, they, they wanted to move on. He kind of tried bringing them back to life and they're like, no, this isn't right. So he's kind of captured and, and like he could probably leave anytime he wanted because that's how powerful he is. He just chooses not to. And he recently appeared in, uh, Imperium. And he faces off with Toyo Harada, and Harada is like, you got all this power. You can help me create my vision of this utopia reality. You can freaking solve world hunger and end all war and all this stuff. Hey, you got power? We'll put you to work. Hey, you can make this for me. Yeah, (laughs) and then he's like, well, Divinity doesn't want to be controlled. So he keeps, like, sending Harada back and forward in time. And Harada just kind of keeps snapping out of it until finally he just kind of realizes, like, all right, well, you definitely can't be controlled, even as powerful as I am. And then just kind (laughs) of let the issue go. Like, all right, I'm not going to mess with you because you're too powerful, but I'm I'm never going to stop asking you to help me. So that was kind of kind of how that went. Cool. And uh, went real well, you know. So yeah, Divinity is is just you know the coolest. Freshest new thing to come off the press from Valiant, really. Uh, trade paperback just came out. I picked it up. I haven't gotten through it yet. Once again, all this overtime at work's been killing me, killing my reading time. But, uh, no, the artwork is just absolutely phenomenal. The character is fresh and original and, and neat. I can't wait to see what happens next and where he pops up next uh, within the Valiant U. I know they are continuing with the Divinity book. Matt Kent is going to continue to write it. Uh, well, I guess it was like a miniseries, but they're going to do another arc with him. That'll well, exactly, last, like, yeah, another, called Divinity 2. four issues, yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be really interesting. Uh, real, real great premise for a character. and uh, So original, and, and once again... Clearly something that was just so well thought out, you know, like, yeah. uh, plot holes all paved over. Uh, Once again, excellent continuity with everybody else. Yeah. But one of the nice things that like, I really like about Valiant is they kind of they delve into each different genre, but they're not holding themselves to these kind of strange rules that like Marvel and DC kind of hold themselves to. Um, they're like, oh, well, we, they, they got all these different engaging characters and, and they, they really give their, uh, writers and their creative teams a lot of, uh, a lot of room to work with. And once again, you know, we mentioned earlier, uh, that very well could be the formula for success that, you know. Well, that's, um, online, there are a lot of great reviews. Uh, Valiant's books have been critically acclaimed, acclaimed very much so for the past couple of years. Problem is, is, like they only really put out about six books a month. A lot of these characters have their own books, and then they kind of move on to something else. And those characters aren't really necessarily gone; they still exist within the Valiant universe. But the, eventually, they're going to revisit a lot of these characters. Oh yeah, absolutely. No one goes away for too long once they're put back into the Valiant. And, and just because they don't have their own book doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to show up on a regular basis. They could pop up in other books. And they usually like, do. yeah, if you're, like, peeing your pants over seeing Colonel Jamie Capsha show up in a book, well, you know, don't worry about it, because she's going to, sh- she'll be showing up in Unity, and, and uh, you know it. And she shows up regularly in the Exo Manowar book as well. Very true, very true. So, you know, that's just one example that just popped into my head. Very good. So, 
Like we said, uh, Valiant covers many genres within comics. And in the realm of kind of fantasy horror, we have Shadow Man. And a lot of people might be familiar with Shadow Man. Acclaim put out a game on Nintendo 64 back in the day titled Shadow Man. And it kind of loosely followed the Shadow Man premise from the books. <laughs> and uh, and Shadow Man came back again. And from what I heard, I got my ear to the ground for these things. Shadow Man will again be reintroduced to the Valiant Universe again. Uh, he had a first iter- iteration. Uh, the character's name is Jack Boniface. And what he is is his family line has been possessed by a voodoo spirit known as the a Loa. And the Loa that he's possessed with specifically is the Shadow Loa. And... What it does is it kind of allows him to have power over Shadow, and the Shadow Loa, I guess, was expelled from some area, and there are these other Loas out there that are preying on the innocent, and he's trying to... The the spirit itself wants to kill all the other Loas in revenge, and and it's possessing uh, Jack Boniface, and he, it takes place in uh, New Orleans... Where the, a lot of voodoo stuff kind of goes down. Yeah, that's the perfect place for a book like that, I'd say. And they got interactions with this other plane of existence within the Valiant Universe called Deadside. And the, the Shadow Loa allows Jack to go to and from Deadside in the real world and also allows him to kind of like travel through shadows and... Now- Deadside is just north of the Phantom Zone, if I'm correct. Is that? Uh, you take a left at the gas station between Oa and the Dead Planet, and then you go past the Nebula Quark, and then you need to put on the blindfold because it's a secret. And then I believe it's somewhere between there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Neat. <laughs> But, uh, yes, Dead Side, kind of like, uh, Valiant's version of the afterlife. A lot of dead things, a lot of souls end up going to Dead Side after they die. Um, he deals with a lot of creepy demons that come from that place. A lot of, a lot of, kind of brutal stuff. Uh, Shadow Man went on as a book for a little while. And the last arc that Shadow Man was in, he actually had to revive one of his, his greatest enemies, Master Dark, and ends up becoming Master Dark's kind of slave in agreement in order to find the spirit of his father so that he could kill him. Uh, pretty dark stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Shadow Man kind of had some issues earlier on with the fact that they couldn't... Uh, they didn't have a lot of cross- crossover stuff with other characters within the Valiant universe, which was one of the strengths of the Valiant line. So, from what I've heard, within the next couple issues of Ninjak... Shadow Man, uh, Ninjak's going to be going to Deadside, and they're going to bring back Shadow Man. Well, if he's going to Deadside, something's telling me that someone in Deadside, maybe it's Master Dark, is one of the Shadow Seven that he's hunting down the Shadow Wars right now. I think it very well might be. For Weaponeer. They've, they've had, uh, yeah, yeah, they've had some images of him, and I know he's... Uh, He's part of the big story arc that's universe-wide going on right now with uh, Book of Death. Yeah. 
So, That's right. so they're bringing back the the Shadow Man characters. They're excellent characters. They're bringing back that whole like dark arts portion of the Valiant U. I I I always felt that it was really strong, but they they didn't let it re- lean on the other strengths of the Valiant U, which is the how rich the characters are. They didn't have enough interaction with it. Yeah, that's, that's what really enriches all the other books is the interaction between these characters who all live in the same universe. So well, yeah, I, if I they mean, go ahead and they do this, I I don't know. I'm not. I haven't heard any announcements, but I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Kent decided to kind of stop doing Rye and then, or or maybe they just allow him to go ahead and write a Shadow Man book because it's time. The it's the time's ripe. It's like. A, they're reintroducing these characters. People are going to get into it, and I feel like it would be an excellent time to bring back one of their most popular characters of yesteryear, Shadow Man, back to the front. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, if what your prediction, if, if your prediction comes true and we we see that, uh, you know, appearance of Shadow Man and Ninjak... Uh, that would not only be a perfect uh, way to introduce the character back into the universe, but uh, it would also just be really cool to see in general. Yeah. Just because it's always so much fun when they have these little crossovers within the Valiant universe, because they're always just done so well. They really are. Uh, they're always on point. They're always just very graceful. They're never... Uh, you never you never see an erroneous crossover where a lot of times you know, especially in Marvel books, I've come to realize you know you see a lot of crossovers that just don't make a lot of sense. Yeah, so, they're just like, oh, what are you doing in my book? Why well, your sales numbers were down, so I'm here to help you. Yeah, out, yeah. Buddy. Like Wolverine yeah. with like you know the 15 titles he was in before they killed him off. You mean everyone? Yeah. <laughs> everyone needs a Wolverine guest appearance. Wolverine, Savage Wolverine. Wolverine and the X-Men. Wolverine and the Sunday Steppers. Wolverine uh, and the, the Late Show with Wolverine. You know, it's like, Jesus, enough already. Yeah, thank God they killed him off. Oh, jeez, he was the... No wonder. He freaking... It was part of his con. He was getting so overworked, he needed a rest. The, so they killed him. Yeah. Well, apparently, um, a little bit of Wolverine... I mean, we did news at the beginning of the podcast, but... Maybe we'll close out the podcast with a little bit of news, too. Uh, in regards to the Marvel's all-new lineup coming after Secret Wars concludes, uh, we all know that right now Jeff Lemire is working with Andrea Sorrentino on the Old Man Logan Secret Wars Battle World book. Well, apparently that has been picked up. As, like, a solid... It's going to be an ongoing title. Yeah, exactly. An ongoing title of longevity in Old Man Logan. So it looks like that's just the Wolverine they're going to be going with. Uh, And they're going to have Jeff Lemire write it. And they're going to have Sorrentino uh, drawing the book. And uh, well, they they did excellent be great. together when uh, on Green Arrow. Oh, when they're, they're on such, their Green Arrow run. They're one of so. my they're one of my absolute top favorite creative teams and partially well mostly because of that green arrow run but uh phenomenal phenomenal creative team i can't look forward to old man logan enough i'm enjoying the battle world uh, edition right now but i'm kind of anticipating secret wars to end here i i, I want to get going with you know the all right you want to restart your continuity again marvel 
we'll give you the chance to do it, but let's get on with it already. You know? Yeah, yeah. Once it, uh, once it really, we'll see how they hit the ground running. I know they're going to have like close to, Lord, like 70 titles or something absurd. Oh, it's disgusting. They're coming out. So I, I, I got an email. He's like, they email me like, you know, with, with updates and everything. And, you know, I, I sifted through like, the 70 some odd titles that, you know, and I tried to pick out what I think I would practice, you know, pr- practically read. Uh, I think I might still have like 25 titles written down. I gotta, yeah. I gotta kinda like get that number down a little bit too, but too yeah. many books. No, they, I mean, they're gonna have an <laughs> awful lot. I mean, there's some stuff that I'm gonna try to get into to see if like, I know they're gonna really push the inhuman, so I wanna see how they do with that. Um, True, and, uh, and then, uh, they're gonna have their 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 X Men books, which I, I must have, and then of course yeah. Iron Man's gonna be written by Bendis, so I gotta check that out. And gotta. Then the guy who uh, is writing Ant Man was it Spencer? Nick Spencer's doing yep. Ant Man still. Yep. Yep. So I gotta check out the new Cap, see if Captain America is gonna be any good. I know it's gonna be Sam Wilson. So Howard the Duck is gonna be a new number one. New number one, same creative team. Yeah, yeah. I guess the uh, the big. The big hook on that is Howard gets a new hat. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I mean, it's a comedy book anyways. And speaking of comedy books, what perfect segue to go back to Valiant real quick for one last title to talk about in Quantum and Woody. Yes, Quantum and Woody. Uh, two, two brothers. Um, inv- it begins with two brothers. One was, uh, they one was adopted, and then they both are investigating their father's death. Their father was uh, a scientist. They go to see what he was working on. They end up getting caught in an explosion. It turns out they both get powers. One brother calls himself Quantum. He wears the costume. He thinks he's a superhero. He's discharged from the army before, and he can create shields. Woody is the con man. The the the, he's a real con, you know. He likes uh, trying to trick people, and they like giving him money and stuff. And he's got the ability to like shoot energy blasts. So they're both kind of stuck with each other because they got these strange bracelets, and they gotta clang them together. Because every twenty four hours, if they don't, they both become molecularly unstable. So they got two bro- adopted brothers who can't stand each other, <laughs> and they have to stick together, or else they they risk. Uh, Something terrible happening to both of them. And they're just forced into staying with Tudra. And this is the real comic relief of the Valiant universe. Uh, they get into, uh, involved with like the Edison's a- acquisitions. There's this old ancient, uh, well not too ancient, but this, this secret society of, of scientists who are like got this, you know, like cabal going on and they're all like scientific geniuses and they wanted to integrate their father's work and invite him to be part of their group and, and uh and they end up rescuing this goat which actually ends up having their father's personality and the goat's like got all these powers it can shoot laser beams from its eyes and and it, tons of comic relief uh it's not a very serious story at all uh they they poke fun at all sorts of stuff and we got a goat don't ask That's i love that part <laughs> And Don't it, ask. <laughs> and it just ties it in. I mean, they're the real comic relief. Uh, they did a crossover called Delinquents with Archer and Armstrong because they're kind of a lighthearted book themselves. And and I still want to pick that up and read it. 
I, um, I read the first couple issues, uh, you know, as things are. I kind of was hurting for cash and I couldn't find it. That's another problem with Valiant books is they're really – they're kind of hard to find. You got to either pick them up the day they come out because it's real hard to find back issues on them. So It's a pain you, in the you, ass actually. So if if you – Read Valiant. I highly recommend that you just kind of find out what's coming out. They really only have put out about seven books a month. Um, kind of try some out, buy the trades, get the hardcover, kind of see what the, to feel out the water, see what you like. Uh, I, I, you probably won't regret it. Um, I mean, you, well, I, you're, I, you're not gonna regret it. I got really stingy taste, and I love everything Valiant puts out. So it's got my seal of approval, if that means anything to you. And it's uh it's just been it's fantastic. I love it. Just go ahead, give it a try. I mean, the best way to get the books is to make sure that they're on your pull list. And if you have a, a comic shop that uh, isn't incompetent, they'll go ahead and they'll make sure that you get your books. Yeah, and you don't need to worry about whether or not they're just on the shelf or kind of grab them when you can. You know. Yeah, absolutely. You want to make sure you plan that out ahead of time, but uh. For anyone looking for something just new and fresh, cutting-edge ideas, amazing sci-fi, incredible artwork, intricate storytelling, and some of the most colorful array of characters and character interactions, for that matter, that you'll ever, ever find in a comic book label, look no further than Valiant Comics, ladies and gentlemen. Outstanding. And, uh... I think with that, that concludes yet another fantastic episode of this fantastic Vigilant Geek podcast. Uh, Holden, I want to thank you so much for providing us with uh, all this great info and history on Valiant Comics. It was my pleasure. Um, and it was, of course, my pleasure talking about it because... Uh, Hell, we just love the comic label. We we really do. We love Valiant. Uh, love talking about it. So um, thank you very much for listening. Next week, uh, we plan on uh, discussing uh, a certain anime called Attack on Titan. Yes! Now, uh, Nathan Burke, uh, New England stand-up comedian... And owner operator of Hotcast Studios will be present next week as well as a special guest. And, uh, we look forward to, uh, seeing you all or having you all listen to us blab on again next week. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I am Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media. And with me as always is Holden Orm of Vigilant Geek Media. And as always, Stay vigilant.